gospel reading from next Sunday. In all this, we're taking a slow walk through Matthew chapter 10. Bit by bit by bit, we are overhearing and listening in on Jesus's instructions to his disciples just before he sends them out on a rescue mission to the lost sheep of Israel. He sends them out to announce the good news that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so that their message might be vindicated, Jesus gives his disciples the authority to heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, and cast out demons. And yet, despite this, despite these signs, despite the message they carry, Jesus warns his disciples that their mission will be met with hostility, and with opposition. He tells them that they are being sent out as sheep among wolves. But before they go, Jesus wants to fill their hearts with peace. Last week, Pastor Feeney uh, drew our attention to the fact that Jesus enables his disciples to escape the anxiety of words. He gives them the promise that when the moment for them to confess his name comes, the Spirit himself will give them the right words to speak in the face of the hostility that they will encounter. Well, in our text for this morning, I want us to see how Jesus readies his disciples for their difficult mission by freeing them from the fear of failure. While the mission that Jesus is sending them on is theirs to participate in, the mission is ultimately not theirs to finish. The mission, as it always has, belongs entirely to Jesus. Ultimately, victory rests not on the disciples' dedication to going, but on Jesus' purpose in coming. Jesus comes to die. Jesus comes to rise. Jesus comes to conquer the power of sin and death and the devil. And because Jesus has come, because he's come to claim the victory, Jesus' disciples can go. They can go with confidence. In the face of persecution, they can endure to the end. The mission that they are participating in cannot fail because Jesus is the one who has come. He's come to finish the job and to give them success. So the first thing that Jesus does to fear, or to free rather, his disciples from the fear of failure is to dispel them of any false expectations of what success will look like. You see, there's no phony optimism when it comes to Jesus. He doesn't give his disciples a, a pep talk and slap them on the back and say, you're going to do great out there. Jesus levels with them. Before he sends them out, he says, the hatred of my name is going to be so intense that brother will deliver brother over to death and father 
his child, and children will rise up against their parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all. Now, this is about as bleak of a picture as anyone could paint. Not only is Jesus' name going to provoke division and hostility, but it's going to do so at the most fundamental level of society. You've probably heard the expression, blood is thicker than water. Well, not when it comes to Jesus. Jesus cautions his disciples that not even the sacred bonds of family loyalty are enough to exempt you from hatred. Now, why does Jesus say all this? Well, because he wants his disciples to know before they go out that rejection of the message does not indicate failure of the mission. The, the disciples aren't responsible for convincing everyone that they meet to love Jesus. Success on this mission won't be the result of the disciples' ability to be well-prepared or winsome or even one of the family. Rather, in town after town, they're going to be hated. They're going to meet resistance. They're going to be rejected. None of this will come about because of what the disciples do or don't do. All of it will be on account of who Jesus is. Nevertheless, Jesus tells them that the one who endures, the one who endures to the end, will be saved. In other words, Jesus is telling them, look, it's going to look like you're losing. It's going to look like the mission has no chance. But don't be troubled by any of this. Endure. And as you go, stay the course. Do not fear failure. Because I've come. And because I've come, the mission will succeed. This is how we want to understand Jesus in verse 23, when he says to his disciples, when they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly, I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Now, this is a verse that gets a lot of ink spilled over it in various Bible commentaries. Partly, this is due to the difficulty of bringing the Greek over into smooth English. The Greek literally reads, you will not, there's an em emphasis there, you will not finish the towns of Israel. You will not complete the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. It's a very strange way to, to speak. Now the ESV, our translation, does its best with this rather odd sentence construction and suggests that the incomplete or the unfinished element that Jesus is actually pointing to here is the physical visitation of all the towns in Israel. That's why it's translating Jesus' words as, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel until the Son of Man comes. But it's a little more than that. 
What propels Jesus' disciples into all these different towns in Israel? It's persecution. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next, Jesus tells them. The point that Jesus is making is not that his disciples will run out of towns to visit or won't run out of towns to visit or places to go. Rather, his point is that their mission, which is characterized by this cycle of proclamation and persecution, will be ongoing right up until the end. Once again, Jesus wants to free his disciples from the fear of failure by lifting the burden of success off of their shoulders. The disciples are being sent to share in Christ's sufferings, but they're not being sent to complete them. They are being sent to participate in Jesus' mission, not being sent to finish the job. Why? Because that's what Jesus has come for. The Son of Man has come to finish it for them. That's the key to understanding the last little bit of this verse. You will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. What does this mean? Well, when you or I speak this way, we're usually just referring to someone's physical arrival in a specific place. So I might say something like, our family eats dinner after I come home from work. Here, I'm just merely speaking of my arrival at home. But this is not the way that Scripture speaks of God. God's coming never indicates mere arrival. It always signals action. God's presence and God's purposes can never be separated. Where God goes, God does. Where God comes, God works. And ultimately, we see that the chief work that God has come to do is to save. Remember what God tells Moses when he speaks to him from the burning bush in Exodus? Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them, to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. God doesn't send Moses on a rescue mission to Egypt while he stands somewhere off in the distance just watching. No. God comes so that God can rescue his people himself. He visits his people with his presence so that he might redeem his people out of their bondage. Moses is not the leader of this mission. He's simply a participant. Success doesn't hinge on Moses' ability to talk sense into Pharaoh. And at times, this mission will even look like it's failing. But it will not. Because God himself 
has come. God has come to do all that is necessary to set his people free. And this is the ultimate confidence that Jesus wants to give his disciples. Jesus is the Son of Man who has come so that he might do. Jesus was sent so that he might save. I have come, Jesus says in John's Gospel, I have come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. As we confess in the Creed, he is the God-man who for us men and for our salvation, what? Came down from heaven. You see, disciples are not above their master. Disciples participate in the mission by their going. But the master accomplishes the mission by his coming. Jesus came as a man in his incarnation to redeem our human flesh. Jesus came with his word that calls us out of death into life. Jesus came to give his life as a ransom for many on the cross. Three days later, Jesus came up out of the grave to declare his victory. And even now, Jesus still is coming to us. Jesus comes to us in the waters of baptism to make us new and living creatures. Jesus comes to us in bread and wine to give us the forgiveness of sins. Jesus comes to us in the preaching of the word to assure us that while the mission is still ongoing, the outcome of the mission is certain. Persecution will arise, but Jesus' promise endures. Failure is not an option because Jesus has already won the victory. So do not fear because Jesus has come, does come, and will come again. You, we, us, can go. You can speak Jesus' name with confidence. You can declare Jesus' message with boldness. You can suffer the world's persecution and indifference and hatred and rejection with patience. There's work for you to do. This is sure. But there's nothing for you to finish. Because Jesus has come. And he's finished everything for you. Nearly 500 years ago today, June 25th, 1530, a small group of German nobles stood before the Roman Catholic Emperor Charles V and read aloud the 28 articles of what later became known as the Augsburg Confession. As so many Christians had done before them, these men boldly declared that they were willing to risk their lands and their lives so that the pure gospel that they had been entrusted with might continue to be preached. See, the spark that drove the Reformation was not their winsomeness or their eloquence or even their courage. 
Rather, it was the promise that Christ first proclaimed to his disciples and that has defined the mission of the church ever since. It was Christ's promise that a suffering church is not a losing church. A persecuted church is not a powerless church. A hated church is not a hopeless church. The reformers held fast to Christ's promise that no matter what resistance they encountered, nothing, nothing would hinder the mission. Nothing would stop Christ from coming. In word, in sacrament, and one day in the clouds of judgment. May Christ grant to us the same faith so that we do not shrink back from the mission, so that our faith might also endure to the end, and so that we might reap the reward that Christ accomplished for us when he came in victory. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.